Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. It's election day in the U.S., so I've got some good and some weird tips for staying calm amidst the election storm. Also, an AI that can tell if you have COVID-19 just by listening to your cough. And a deep dive on one type of U.S. citizen who can't run for public office in eight states. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Election night is always nerve-wracking, but especially in a year when we're unlikely to know the results on the night. And yes, yes, I know we never have all the votes counted on the actual night, but, you know, short of the 2000 election, in recent years we've usually known who the president will be by late that night or early the next morning. But regardless, on top of that uncertainty, which can make everything feel that much more stressful, we've also all spent the last eight months being more stressed out and uncertain about the future than ever before. So we're not exactly working from a sturdy base here. And to that end, I thought I would share some recommendations for reducing stress today. I mentioned the New York Times election distractor yesterday, and I still stand by that one. Also, Jason posted a video to Kotki.org of fuzzy Tetris blocks that I highly recommend watching. I mean, I would say any kind of calm or uplifting videos you can watch today are a great way to distract yourself and take a break from the news, which, to be clear, is a top tip especially if you are a news junkie during election season or particularly prone to doom scrolling, make sure you're taking time away from the news. Literally set yourself a timer, either for how much time you're allowed to check in on the news or for how often you have to take non-news breaks. And some of the things that you can do when you're not following the news that will also help you stay calm include cooking, cleaning, calling friends or loved ones, and getting lost in a flow activity. One of the reasons cooking and baking got so popular at the start of the pandemic is because it's a physical activity that you can do with your hands that has a tangible result. If you're more of a creative maker, you may have another analogous activity, but for a lot of -of run-of-the-mill non-maker types, cooking and baking were the perfect new way to slow down, focus on a relatively simple task, and feel a sense of accomplishment. Cleaning or organizing tap into similar feelings and can also help you feel a sense of control over your immediate environment, even while the outside world may feel like it's spinning wildly out of control. And CNBC notes that cleaning tasks that are more repetitive, like washing dishes or vacuuming, can serve as a form of mindfulness, helping you slow down and clear your mind. And along with cooking and cleaning, any kind of flow activity is a good one to engage in today, or over the next several days as we possibly await results. CNBC describes flow as, quote, the state of being so absorbed in an activity that you lose track of time and thought, end quote. They list common flow activities as playing music, dancing, sailing, playing chess, swimming, and bicycling. Now, not all of those are going to necessarily be doable depending who you are and where you live, but you know yourself. Think of an activity that requires a bit of concentration so you have to focus and that keeps your attention for long enough to distract you both from the stresses of the day and the passage of time. A final tip from CNBC is to call friends or loved ones, because having and engaging with a support system has been proven to be beneficial to both your physical and mental health. 
And this one could be tricky this week if you've got folks in your life who you wildly disagree with, so you may want to stick to people you can talk or vent to without getting in an argument. But as for some more creative ways to reduce stress, I turn now to the staff of The Verge, who shared some of the hyper-specific, off-the-wall ways that they are all coping this week, including binging videos of anime fight scenes, building Lego sets, becoming a competitive Duolingo user, listening to Swedish death metal, hiding under weighted blankets, Combining tried-and-true coping methods of exercise and consuming refined sugar by eating multiple ice cream sandwiches while walking on the treadmill. Asking for all the gossip from various friends. Playing and designing all manner of video games and watching any kind of show or listening to any podcast that does not have anything to do with the election. Highlights include The Great British Bake Off, The Queen's Gambit, what We Do in the Shadows, Arrested Development, British Panel Shows, 1930s Comedy, Something Called Safari Live, and Lots of Bad Sci-Fi, and, in the case of one person who is leaning perhaps in the wrong direction here, watching Designated Survivor. So maybe one of those will inspire you. In any case, I hope you find some time today to breathe and distract yourself just a little bit. It could be a very long next few days. In COVID news, because I'm apparently just leaning into topics tangentially related to our two greatest stressors today, sorry about that. Anyways, a team from MIT have designed a way to diagnose someone with COVID-19 solely based on the sound of their cough. So they say, anyways... The app would work on both symptomatic and asymptomatic people because apparently even carriers have some sort of tell in their cough, and all you would have to do is cough into your phone. Quoting Gizmodo, The difference between a healthy person's cough and the cough of someone infected with the virus is so slight that it's imperceptible to the human ear. So the team developed an AI to detect these minute differences using tens of thousands of recorded samples of coughs and spoken words, and it's been ridiculously accurate in early tests, recognizing 98.5% of coughs from people with confirmed COVID-19 cases and 100% of coughs from asymptomatic people. Here's how it works. One neural network gauges sounds associated with vocal cord strength, while another detects cues related to a person's emotional state, such as frustration, which can produce a flat effect. A third network listens for subtle changes in lung and respiratory performance. The team then combined all three models and overlaid them with an algorithm to detect muscular degradation, end quotes. This technology isn't all new. Previous groups have trained AI to detect pneumonia and asthma just from the sound of coughs based on long-held knowledge by doctors about the varying sounds based on different conditions. Though the team warned that this test should not be a replacement for a standard COVID-19 test, they are working on developing a free, user-friendly version for which they will seek FDA approval, so maybe it could be adopted in a widespread capacity eventually. You know, maybe it could replace the fever scanners in public places, which miss asymptomatic people. A team at Carnegie Mellon has been working on a similar app that would recognize a COVID-19 infection via voice detection, again, just by using your phone. It always makes me feel better to hear about multiple teams working separately on new technology like this. 
makes me more certain that a simple, accurate solution like this one might actually come to fruition sometime in the future. Ending today with something about electoral politics, but not about today's election. So more and more people from diverse backgrounds have been running and winning in elections at every level across the U.S. in recent years. More women, more people of color, more LGBTQ plus people, more people with disabilities, more indigenous people, more people of faiths other than Protestant Christianity. But in eight U.S. states, there is one type of person who is legally barred from running for public office. Atheists. Arkansas, Maryland, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas all have constitutional prohibitions preventing people who do not believe in a higher power from holding office. Pennsylvania also bars them, but with slightly more roundabout language saying that someone can't be disqualified from serving on the basis of religion so long as they believe in God and, quote, a future state of rewards and punishments, end quote. And this is all despite the fact that a 1961 Supreme Court case ruled that states could not have a religious test for public office. This was the case of Torcaso v. Watkins, in which Roy Torcaso had been appointed a notary public in Maryland, but refused to swear belief in a supreme being as required by Maryland's constitution. And the Supreme Court ruled unanimously in his favor, yet these state laws persist. And part of the complication is in Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution, which says there can be no religious test for holding federal office, but doesn't say anything about state offices. These little-known clauses in the constitutions rarely hold up in court, usually ending up in the atheist's favor if they make it that high, but they do pop up every now and then. At least as recently as 2009, opponents of atheist Cecil Bothwell tried to deny his appointment to Asheville, North Carolina's city council on the basis of their constitution, but they eventually yielded. North Carolina's constitution lists it as the very first reason someone can be disqualified from running for office. Quoting their constitution, The following persons shall be disqualified for office. First, any person who shall deny the being of Almighty God. End quote. As indicated in the examples that I've named so far, we're not just talking about governors and mayors, but city council members and even notary publics. Maryland extends the prohibition to people serving as witnesses and jurors. Now, even though I wouldn't say that atheists or non-believers are outright persecuted in the same ways that, say, Jewish and Muslim people often are, this type of ban is unique to them, and surveys have shown over the years that many people would elect people of all other faiths, identities, and backgrounds before electing an atheist. A 2014 poll from the Pew Research Center found that being an atheist is the least desirable trait a candidate for office could have. And it's part of that stigma that not just prevents atheists from being open about their lack of belief when they do run. I mean, come on, how many public officials do you think are really as devout as they make it seem like they are, especially with the growing number of secular non-believers in this country? But it also prevents any politician from taking a stand to wipe these bans from their state constitutions. And while they're basically never upheld because they wouldn't stand up well in court, they're still there and unlikely to be struck from the documents no matter how much atheist organizations fight back, as some have been doing over the past decade. 
it's just a bad look for a politician in this country. There are a number of members of the U.S. House and Senate who identify as at least unaffiliated with a particular denomination, though most have strong cultural ties that likely helped them out with their electorate. Like Tulsi Gabbard, who was the first Hindu member of the Senate, but says she's not really into religious labels and is more spiritual. Or Senator Maisie Hirano of Hawaii is sometimes counted as the first Buddhist senator, but describes herself as non-practicing and also says that religion is a private personal matter. And there's Representative Kristen Sinema, who, while raised Mormon, is often described as the only non-theist member of Congress. She was famously sworn in by Vice President Mike Pence on copies of the U.S. and Arizona constitutions, as opposed to any religious text. But she rejects both religious and non-religious labels for herself. And that could absolutely be her truth, but it could also be an acknowledgement that flat-out saying she's non-theistic would lose her voters. And on the matter of swearing in, I do have to mention, of course, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, or Pastafarianism, the parody religion founded in 2005 and quickly spreading around the world, especially online, as a political flashpoint for atheists and others wishing to make a statement about the separation of church and state. The Flying Spaghetti Monster wasn't founded in response to any of the sorts of atheist prohibitions that I mentioned today, but rather in response to schools teaching intelligent design alongside evolution. However, there has been at least one case of a public official being sworn in while wearing a colander on his head, a religious garment in Pastafarianism, and notably that occurred in New York State, not one of the states that prohibits atheists from running for office. And while no one I'm aware of has run from this new church yet, I can't end this segment without mentioning the Church of Universal Suffrage, which was founded earlier this year in response to Tennessee's restrictions on absentee ballots. I covered this story back on the June 26th episode of this show, so if you want to learn more, you can go back and listen to that. But in short, one of Tennessee's very few reasons for allowing someone to request an absentee ballot is the observance of a religious holiday on Election Day. So, city employee Tim Jacobs founded the Church of Universal Suffrage, who lists their religious holidays as all U.S. voting days and early voting periods. And they are now an officially registered religious institution with weekly services, virtual while the pandemic continues, and ministers in all 50 states and abroad. And at their weekly services, they, quote, meditate on the nature of voter suppression, end quote. So basically, while a handful of U.S. states have a fairly unbelievable prohibition in their constitutions, people do continue to show a lot of creative ways to organize, find community, and stand up for their rights. But still, it might be nice to see a little change someday in the future, if only in the name of fairness. One more thing before I go. So remember yesterday I mentioned the New York Times election distractor? I'll link to it again in the show notes today in case you missed it because it is great. But one thing that it does is it makes you say that you have voted before you're allowed to enter the site. Well, at least one other site is using that gimmick today as well. If you want to visit Pornhub today in the United States, you'll be met with an overlay asking if you've voted. 
And unlike the New York Times election distractor, there's no alternate button. There's no way to X out of the overlay. You either click that you've voted or you can't get in. I mean, of course, you could lie, but would you really want to lie to such a virtuous site like Pornhub? In any case, it's great, I guess, that they're raising awareness about voting. Hopefully it will push some folks to the polls today. But that is it for now. I am going to go wipe my browser history from how many times I typed in Pornhub to check if that overlay was live yet. I hope you have a good, safe, and healthy rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.